Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Amen. The greatest story that's ever been told. And you know, it's, it's amazing to me how it's so hidden from the hearts and minds of so many people. It is so hidden from people even that live in the United States of America, where we have a church on every corner, where we have Bible bookstores throughout the land, and yet many people do not know the truth that makes men free. You know, this morning, just after the service was over, sharing with a, a couple of individuals that went to the back building, the one fellow just said, I never heard, never saw in the Scriptures that a person must be born again. And he was very sincere, but yet also amazed that something so profound said by Jesus was not made known and not declared among the people. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. When you hear something for the first time that seemingly is different, something that you've never heard before, something that doesn't line up with what you've been taught for so many years, it's hard to accept change. And sometimes it's hard to receive even truth. The first time I ever heard those words, you must be born again, it absolutely worried me. And I thought the people that were telling me about being born again were a part of some kind of a religious cult coming from a totally different view. And the reason why I thought that was because it wasn't something that I understood. It wasn't something that really was a part of my life. I had never heard it before. It was strange. It was different. And you know, we don't like change. Human beings don't like a lot of different things. When you've been trained one way, you've been taught one way, that's the bottom line. That's just the way it is. Yet when the foundation of your faith is challenged, there's a decision that has to be made. Either you're going to accept what you already know based on limited facts or you're going to open up your heart to deeper truths that are revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And I had to make that decision and I did. You see, a fellow told me that you had to be born again, and I told him that wasn't anywhere in the Bible. And all I did was prove my ignorance. That's all I did, because he said, go home and open up your Bible to John 3, 3, and read it and find out whether or not it's in the Bible. You see, he sowed a seed into my life, a seed that eventually brought forth fruit. Because I went home and I read my Bible in John 3, 3, and indeed, Jesus, the Son of God, said, you must be born again. 
to see, enter into, or perceive the kingdom of God. All my family members around me, they were getting saved. and I was wondering what was going on. And then finally, I made my decision. I was going to open up my heart to Jesus and I was going to invite him in to be my Savior. And I too would experience what is called the new birth, being born again. It's not being religious, it's having reality with God. And that's what the bottom line was. It's not pretending and just playing around with the things of God. It's really throwing your whole heart into it and recognizing the need to have this reality with God. You see, I realized that I was religious, but I also realized at that time that I was not born again. And Jesus, the Son of God, said that you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. What I want to do is just go over some of these scriptures once again, starting at verse 1, to share with those of you that may not know these truths. First of all, you'll notice in verse 1, there are three individuals that we need to point out. Number one is this man called Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. His name was Nicodemus. He was a certain man, not someone who's fictitious. This is an individual who went to Jesus by night. His name is Nicodemus. It's recorded. He is a Pharisee. That means he is not a murderer. He is not a thief. He is not a, an abuser. He is not a kidnapper. He is not some kind of lunatic. He is not some kind of sissy. Some people out there think only sissies need God. He's not a weak person. Only weak people need God. No, not at all. He's none of these things. He is a Pharisee, meaning he is a member of one of the chief religious sects among the Jews. These are a people that stood for excellence, whether it be spiritual, moral, or ethical. That's what they stood for. And to be a part of that group, you had to demonstrate these qualities in your life. Otherwise, you could not participate in that group. So you see, he is not talking to some crook or some criminal or somebody who's living an ungodly lifestyle. He is talking to someone who is recognized as a teacher among the Jews, a leader, a ruler, somebody of high esteem and great importance. And this person, Jesus said, must be born again. At the time, he didn't understand it. But if you'll do some study on your own, you'll discover that he was with Joseph of Arimathea when he brought the body of Christ down from the cross and took him to the tomb. Eventually, Nicodemus was born again. The second person I want to point out in this text is Jesus. He was a ruler of the Jews, this fellow. He went to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that came from God. For no man can do the works or the miracles that you did except God be with him. But he went to Jesus. For me to get saved, I had to go to Jesus. And I had to place Jesus where he belonged in my life. See, I was taught by other people certain things. But the things I began to hear now that came from Jesus differed from the things I was taught. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to live my life based on my traditions or am I going to listen to Jesus and esteem his teachings higher than what I've already learned? And I finally concluded that Jesus was 
more qualified to tell me about life and to tell me about the kingdom of God than anybody else. And with that decision, I began to explore the things that Jesus said. He said, Jesus said, the Son of God, God, Jehovah God, manifested the flesh, the one who came, took upon himself human flesh, who suffered and died, who rose again on the third day, who overcame death, hell, and the grave, took his blood into the high court of heaven, came back and appeared to many, showing that he was indeed the one that lives, who was dead, but he's alive forevermore, having the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he told people how to get back to the Father, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is greater than any person that has ever taught you anything. And I had to decide that, and I had to recognize that, and believe that, and I strongly did. And to be frank about it, I would challenge anyone to dispute anything but Jesus. If Jesus said you must be born again, I concluded I must be born again. And that's just the way I looked at it. And here are his statements. Number one, Jesus said, except a man, in verse 3, be born again, he cannot see. And that word see means perceive or understand the kingdom of God. People don't even have a, the beginning of the understanding of the kingdom of God unless they're born again, according to Jesus. You can't see the kingdom of God. You cannot perceive it or understand it. And then he goes on to say, of course, the response of Nicodemus was, how can I enter back into my mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, in verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. In other words, not just a physical birth. If you've been born physically, you also have to be born spiritually. You must be born spiritually. There must be a spiritual birth in your life. If you were born on January the 17th, 1910, then you still need to be born again sometime in your life before you depart this life. On a certain day, you must give your heart and life to Jesus and be born of the Spirit. You may know that spiritual birthday and you may not. I don't really know the exact day that I got born again, but it was in October of 1976. I know that much. At the time, I wasn't taught to record the day, the time, or the hour, or anything like that. But I had a spiritual birthday, and I thank God for my spiritual birthday. It's just as real to me. That's my natural birthday. And so if you've been born of the flesh, you must be born of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. According to Jesus. I mean, you can believe someone else if you want to, but according to Jesus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God without a spiritual birth. Let's look at that verse. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So now I can't perceive it and neither can I enter into it. And verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So if you've been born of the flesh, you are fleshly. You are indeed in the human race. But the only way you're going to get into God's kingdom is through a birth, the process of a birth. We were born into this world. Anybody here come into this world in a different way than birth? Did you drop out of Mars or anything like that? No. You were born into this realm of life. Well, to get into the kingdom of God, one has got to be born into the kingdom of God, a birth of the Spirit, which we are going to explain. Marvel not, verse 7, that I said unto thee, you must. This now represents the third individual in this, these passages of Scripture. You must be born again. You 
Marvel not, Jesus said, that you must be born again. Not only Nicodemus needs to be born again, but we need to be born again. Everyone needs to experience regeneration or a rebirth of the human spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I realize that if you ask a lot of people out there in the world today, you might get a different answer. You can talk to the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You know, you can talk to your beautician, your barber. You can talk to your friends, your neighbors, and your family members, and every single one of them can say, oh, I don't know anything about this. You know, well, don't forget about it. You don't have to be born again. What's this, this born again business? And it doesn't matter how many of them say, well, you don't need to because Jesus said you must be born again. I really had to make a decision that it didn't matter to me what anybody else said. If Jesus said I must be born again, then I must. When others around me, friends around me that were telling me, this is ridiculous, you're being crazy. There's something wrong with you. You, you, know, you, you don't have to live your life like this. And I said, well, you know what? Jesus said I do. And if Jesus says I have to, then I have to. You see, when I first got saved, born again, when I made Jesus the Savior of my life, I was involved in playing guitar in nightclubs and, and places that really Christians don't need to be in. But I just got saved. And the very first time I walked back into a nightclub, you know, playing, ready to play my guitar, I thought, this, I, was, I had chills about me, I had sweat coming down my brow, and I was absolutely shaking in my boots, so to speak. Saying to myself, why am I here? I don't belong here. I thought God was going to come. I did. In that place. I thought, surely God's going to come. Something is happening here. No one put me down. I mean, no one said anything to me. Other than the fact that because I had this brand new life in my spirit, I didn't want to associate with any of that. See, some people think, well, I've got to clean up my life to come to God. No, you can't clean up your life and come to God. You've got to come to God to clean up your life. And see, when I came to Jesus, he put a new spirit in within within me. And as a result of that new spirit, that new life, I didn't have the same desires that I had in the past. There was a change that took place. That's the difference between religion and reality. I was very religious before, but none of that mattered. But my goodness, when I had reality with God, my whole life changed. To be frank about it, the sky looked bluer. The trees looked more beautiful. The flowers more fragrant. And most importantly, people looked different. When I saw people, I saw them as valuable and precious. When I was born again, when I received the life and the nature of God and the love of God was born into my spirit, I saw people differently. Oh, I'm telling you, I saw people as so precious and so valuable. I saw beyond their flesh and I saw eternal spirit personalities that needed to be saved, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I realized that they acted the way they acted only because they didn't know Jesus. If they had the life of God within them, they would be different people. And so I dedicated my heart and my life to serving God and also doing His will for my life. And I told Him, if you want me to, I will share truth with people so they can learn how to be born again and learn how to walk by faith, how to live their life according to God's will. I guess He took me up on it because that's exactly what He wanted me to do with my life. And I'll tell you what, what a beautiful, beautiful life. To know that you're in the center of God's will is the most important thing in all the world. Also, no matter where you're at right now in life, I want you to know something. If you're not born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, you have yet begun to live. 
Oh, people out there in the world today, they need to know that they have yet begun to live if they don't know Jesus. They don't know what life is all about. You see people out there that have got money coming out their ears, but yet they're unhappy inside. There's an emptiness and there's a void within their lives. What's the problem? They don't know Jesus. There is a condition inside the human heart that can only be resolved through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is what is called spiritual death lodged within the human heart that has to be dealt with, but the only way it can be dealt with is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing can change the inner part of man but the blood of Christ and the power of his word. And you see, that's what happened to me. And when that happened, like I said, the whole world looked different. I mean, it looked absolutely wonderful. It was like I was taken in place, placed by God into another realm. My whole outlook on life changed. That's what the new birth is. Some people call it getting saved. Some people call it getting washed in the blood. Some people call it being sanctified. Some people call it being born again or born from above. Whatever term you use, it doesn't really matter. You just need to know that you've been born again. And you know what? If you've been born again, you know you've been born again. I've asked people, have you been born again? Well, I think so. I said, well, you haven't. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, I would just look at him and say, are you a woman? Oh, yes. Well, how do you know? Well, I was born a woman. Well, are you a man? Yes. How do you know? I've been born a man. Well, if you've been born again, you'd know it. You wouldn't say, I think so. It is so profound. It is so wonderful. It is so real that if it happened to you, you would know it. I knew when I wasn't, and I, know when I, I knew when I was, and I know that I am. That's how profound that work of God is inside the human heart. And it's not becoming religious. It's knowing God in reality. It's really knowing Jesus and walking with Him every day of your life. I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would. Because in this particular book, we have a revelation given to us by Jesus through the Apostle Paul that answers the question, why must I be born again? Well, the first reason is because Jesus said we must be born again. And that's probably the, the best reason anyone can give. If Jesus said you must be born again, he knows, then we must. Can I hear an amen to that? His qualifications, believe me, are many. He came from heaven. Well, let's start before coming from heaven. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You say, but you understand, I'm, I have this neighbor down the street. Well, let me ask you about your neighbor. Did he make the heavens? Did he hang the stars out in the sky? Does he know by what cords the earth remains in orbit? Did he set the boundaries of the sea and the waters shall not pass over? Did he lay the foundations of the earth and it shall not be changed? Is he coming again in the clouds on a white horse, crowned with glory and honor? I don't think he qualifies to give you the right answer. Because you see, the one that told us we must be born again is the one who after suffering and dying for our sin, paying the penalty by entering into the regions below, rising again on the third day, taking his blood into the high court of heaven, offering it up as an eternal sacrifice, came back to the earth and appeared to many, even 500 at one time, saying, I'm he that liveth and was and dead, but I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, walked to the walls, ate with his disciples, said he's coming again. On a white horse, he is coming again to make war and all that. Well, those are some pretty good credentials, wouldn't you say? 
and some pretty good qualifications, and he's the one that said you must be born again. So you see, don't listen to what anybody else to say and leave Jesus out. If they're not saying what Jesus is saying, then something is wrong. Put him first. Now, this Jesus appeared to a man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus, I won't go into all the, opening all the scriptures up to you this evening. But for those of you that do not know, I'm sure you've heard of St. Paul. Paul the Apostle. Well, before he became Paul the Apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a very dedicated Jew. By his own words, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Jew of the Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a, a, above his, his brethren and countrymen in, in knowledge and wisdom and as far as the things of God were concerned. He was a keeper of the law, the statutes and the judgments of God. And he thought that Christianity was threatening uh, Judaism and undermining it. And so he was upset with that. And thinking he was doing God a service, he was going about finding Christians and he was putting them in prison and then finally killing them. He figured if he would kill all these Christians, then Judaism wouldn't be undermined any longer. Well, he was about doing his business and what he thought was service to God. And as a result, one day he was on the road to Damascus with papers to take Christians into prison. All of a sudden, there appears unto him this bright light and a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It was so bright, he was blinded by the light, fell to the ground, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Arise, go into the, uh, to the street, and it'll call straight to be told to you what you should do. To make a long story short, this man, Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Christians, killing Christians, thinking he was doing God a service, had a born-again experience on that day. He met Jesus personally. He was changed from a Jew to a Christian in an instant. As a result of his born-again experience, rather than a persecutor, he became one who promoted the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took the gospel to the Gentiles and is responsible for about two-thirds of the New Testament. Saul means destroyer, but Paul means worker or builder. So this man named Saul became the apostle Paul and Jesus appeared to him on numerous occasions and revealed to him the gospel. And so what he wrote here in the book of Romans to the church at Rome was something that was given to him by Jesus himself. It wasn't something he manufactured or fabricated. It was something that he penned as Jesus told him exactly what to write. And these are the things that he said. So it's important to understand where this is coming from. These are things revealed to us by God's Spirit to let us know why a person must be born again. And then, of course, we can find out how to be born again. But here's what the Apostle Paul writes. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. As it is written, there is none that is righteous, no, not one. Not one person is righteous before God. Not one person outside of Christ is righteous before God. And righteous means in right standing with God. No one is in right standing with God outside of Christ. That's the problem that the human race has. Our righteousness before God, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. And our works, our deeds, our good deeds that we do in this life cannot gain us entrance into the kingdom of God. 
You see, Nicodemus thought because of his religious position and because of his good works, he could have entrance into the kingdom of God. But Jesus stopped him in his tracks and said, no, that's not so. That's not so. Why? Well, if good works could get us into the kingdom of God, Jesus would not have had to come to suffer and die. God would be criminal to send his son to die for us if all we had to do was be good or do good deeds. So there is something more to salvation and redemption than just a person being good and doing good things or becoming religious. You know, there are many false religions that are out there and people are very pious and people are very moral and religious. Isn't that true? But it's sad to say that if they don't know Jesus, they are not going to make heaven. Because Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. One name, Jesus. Because no one else suffered and died for them. No one took their sin for them like he did. There's not one that's righteous. No, not one. This is called the Roman road. You can help someone come to Christ just by showing these scriptures to them. It'll lead them along the right path to Christ. When they recognize that they themselves are not right. You're not right in right standing before God as you are. And there's nothing you can do. That's the bottom line right there. There is nothing you as a human being can do to make yourself right with God. You can't possibly do it. You can't jump high enough. You can't run fast enough. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough good deeds to make yourself right with God. That is impossible because any act on your own is as filthy rags before God. That's the state the human race is in. Even today. Scripture number two is found in verse 23 of the same chapter. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is excluded. Every human being on the face of the earth has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Since the fall of Adam until today, and it will continue, every human being alive falls short of the glory of God. As a result of this condition, he is lost. In the book of Romans chapter 5, another stop along the Roman road. As a result of everyone having sinned and coming short of the glory of God, each one deserves eternal punishment. That's what human beings deserve. If God gave mankind what mankind deserves, mankind would be lost forever. You see, we sing songs about the precious blood of Jesus like we did tonight, and some people think, this is ridiculous. Why are you singing about someone's blood? Well, the Bible said without the blood, there's no remission of sin. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If it were not for the blood of Jesus, we would not be free from our sin. It is so precious because only by His blood can we have remission of sin and eternal life. Otherwise, we would be doomed forever. Isn't that sad to know? But thank God for the blood. And when people get a revelation of that, they become a Christian. They're, they're born again. They have a deeper revelation of the blood of their salvation. I'll tell you what. It makes them sing within their hearts and really appreciate what Jesus has done for them. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we have our next stop. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death, have, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. By one man whose name was Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So that death passed upon all men. And here's the problem. When Adam sinned, he was separated from God and his bloodstream was tainted with sin. 
He no longer had the life of God in him. He had the life of, if you can understand this, death in him. I could say the force of death in him. See, life is the life of God, but death is the force of the enemy, the force of darkness. So what was light has now become dark. What was alive has become dead. That spirit being on the inside. When God made man, He made him a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. He made his body from the dust of the earth, and he was lifeless at that time. But then he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul. That breath of life that he breathed into him was the life that came from God that gave him expression in this realm of life. That's the real man on the inside. When that real man on the inside sinned against God, he, he that was alive died spiritually and was separated from God. As a result of the separation, he has no way back to God. And unless God makes the way back, he is lost forever. So that's his dilemma, and he has no way of escape unless God does something. So as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. How does that happen? Although we weren't there in the garden, literally, we were there figuratively. In Christ, I'm sorry, in Adam, we were there because we came out of his loins. As a result of his sin, death passed upon all men. So through procreation, death passed upon all men because his bloodstream was tainted with sin, so is ours. And every person born into the world is tainted with sin because of their bloodstream. It's a sad scenario. Nothing that man can do about it. See, if, there's, if there was a possible way that some work could have been done in the bloodstream, then some child could have been born righteous before God without tainted blood. But that was an impossibility with man. Jesus Christ himself said when asked of Peter, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, he did something to remedy that. He sent his son, born of a virgin. He fathered the child, meaning the blood that was in, in the child's life, Christ, Jesus, the Savior of the world, was not of the Adamic nature. It was not tainted with the Adamic sin. As a result, the blood of Jesus, the blood that flowed through his veins, was pure and holy and precious and priceless. He could legally redeem mankind from the fall if he would offer his blood to God as a sacrifice. But it was up to him. And you know, when he came, he said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he laid down his life for us. He willfully allowed his blood, his life's blood, spilled so that you and I could be redeemed. We couldn't redeem ourselves because of our tainted blood, but his blood was spotless and precious without sin. So he came to suffer and to die for us and to offer his blood to satisfy the high court of heaven so that God and man could come together once again. So by one man, sin entered into the world, but by one man, so does righteousness enter into the world. And we'll see that a little bit later. So death passed upon all men. What a dilemma. The next stop is in verse 23 of chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice the first part of the verse. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That was man's dilemma. He was in sin. He had no way of escape. He is without hope and without God in the world. He has no way back to God. I don't know if this really strikes people's thinking, but do you realize that 
if you depart this life without God doing something to remedy that sinful nature, that eternity will be spent in what is called the lake of fire and brimstone where people will be in eternal suffering forever and ever and ever, unceasing, non-ceasing, eternal suffering. You know what, saints of God? Every one of us who is washed in the blood, Jesus wants us to be more bold to tell others that they need to get saved. People are lost and dying every single day, entering into eternity forever. Do you understand that? Forever. Consider the worst pain you've ever experienced in your body, how awful that was. And you would give anything for relief, anything whatsoever for relief, you know, just to be free from that pain. Eternity is forever. Well, the worm dieth not, and the fire is never quenched, and the suffering is never ended. It's unending suffering. And people are going there every day. And you know what? God doesn't want it. Oh, God does not want it. God doesn't want it. The wages of sin is death. Man has a big problem. Jesus came, the Son of God, to remedy the problem, to provide the solution. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Why must we be born again? Because no one is righteous, no, not one. Why? Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because Jesus said we must. Why? Because Adam's high treason brought sin into the world and death has passed upon all men and therefore all men must be born of the Spirit. If you've been born of the flesh, you've got a problem. Did you hear that? If you've been born of the flesh, you have a problem to deal with. You've got to be born again because you've got spiritual death. You're separated from God and will be forever unless you're born again, according to Jesus. Now, in 1 Peter 1, 23, now remember also Peter was taught of the Lord. Jesus himself told Peter that when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you. But I pray for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He himself, being a Jew, had to be converted from Judaism to Christianity, to be born again. And, and Peter was born again. Jesus said we must be born again, but now because of what Jesus taught Peter, Peter teaches us how to be born again. In chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, now, corruptible seed is making a reference to the fact that the seed of man is corruptible. Man in the flesh and his physical condition is in a corruptible state. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, that which is corruptible must put on incorruption. Well, he's not talking about being born of, in, of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, a lot of people have no concept of being born again because they have no understanding of the word of God. These are seeds. Words are seeds, are containers of life. As a result of the seed of God's Word entering into the heart of a man, a birth can take place. See? We conceive that Word within our hearts and bring forth fruit unto salvation. So to be born again, a person must have a working knowledge of the Word of God. He must hear the Word of God because of his own will begat he us with the Word of truth, James tells us. So... To be begotten from above or to be begotten of God requires a work of the Spirit and the Word of God. And that's why we're sharing the gospel, the good news of God's redeeming grace. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, one of my favorite scriptures along the line of salvation, verse 26, 
I'm going to read that to you. You can turn there if you like. It's in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. This is a prophecy given talking about the new birth or regeneration. And this is what takes place. Now, we live in a time right now when we don't really think much about a person having a heart transplant. I'm not saying that it's not serious. It's a very serious operation that takes place, right? But really, we hear about it all the time today. But there was a time not too many years ago, if, you, if someone needed a heart transplant, they were just a goner. There was not going to be any transplant because man didn't have the understanding that was needed to produce what was needed. Right? But now, they do them probably every day in our country. A heart transplant. And a person gets another heart and uh, so many, maybe possibly so many more years of life as a result of that transplant. And we know of other organ transplants that take place. Well, if we believe that man can do a heart transplant, what about the one that made the human heart? And I'm not talking about the physical heart alone. This man on the inside, the heart of man, the spirit of man needs changed. See, it needs repaired. But for that to take place is an act of God, not an act of man. You can't operate on your own heart. You can't put eternal life into your spirit. You can't take the death out of you and put the life in you. God is the only one that can do that. And listen to this verse of Scripture. Verse 26, A new heart also will I give you. You know, on the day I was born again, Jesus gave me a new heart. A brand new heart. Look at the next part. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take out or take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. Did you notice that part that says I'll cause you to walk in my statutes? See, some people try to get the cart before the horse. You can't clean up your life and do what God wants you to do, then come to salvation. You've got to come to Jesus and get a new heart so that you can do what God wants you to do. That's the way it works. Someone says, wait until I stop doing this, then I'll ask Jesus to be my Savior. No, ask Jesus to be your Savior and He'll give you the power to stop doing that. That's how it works. Get saved first, get born again first. He'll put a new heart within you, a new spirit. God is in the heart transplant business. God is in the heart-transforming business. Only God can take that spiritual death that was lodged in you and remove it from you and put a brand new heart, a new spirit, a brand new life in you. That is the new birth. See, and I've got to know that that's what God said he would do. That's why Peter said, be born of the word of God. That is incorruptible. So by the word of God, we enter into an incorruptible state, thank God. And we receive a brand new life. Now going back to the Roman road, if you would please. Romans chapter 6 once again. And let's look at that latter part of verse 23. God prophesied saying that I someday am going to put a new heart within you. A brand new spirit, a brand new life. You have a problem. You are right now in death, under the power and dominion of death, but you can pass from death to life if you so desire, only because of the work of Christ. Look at the verse once again, the latter part. Well, let's read the whole verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through Hare Krishna, but through Jesus Christ. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while the whole human race was against God. I mean, how much more against God can you be than this? When Jesus came, He came to His own and His own received Him not. They rejected Him, the Messiah. It was prophesied down through the ages, the Messiah would come to save you from your sins. The Messiah would come to save you from your sins. When He came, they didn't even know who He was. They rejected Him. They took a murderer in His place and said, let His blood be upon us. Right? Well, the whole human race was at, at a place of sin, against, sinning against God. God sent His only Son to demonstrate His great love for mankind. God loves the whole human race. God loves every person upon the face of the earth who ever lived with an awesome love, with an overwhelming love. Each life is so precious that it was worth the very life blood of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for, notice the term, for us. You know why we fall in love with Jesus? Because He died for you. Not for Himself, but He died for you. You must be born again because Christ died for you. Did you hear that? He went on that cross and suffered for you. He took the sin of the world for us, not for Himself. He entered into the bowels of the earth where He suffered for Adam tied treason, but not for Himself, for us, for the rebellious, for the ungodly, for the wicked. doesn't matter who we are. Every single person upon the face of the earth was in need of salvation, so everyone was really out of whack with God. But Jesus suffered for us in my place, in my stead. He went there for me. He rose again, and when He did, He did it for me. He ascended on high into heaven for me and for you. He offered His blood as the eternal sacrifice for you. How can I turn my back on someone who did all this for me? He did it for you. He did it for me. Hare Krishna didn't do that for you. Buddha didn't do that for you. Muhammad didn't do that for you. Confucius didn't do that for you. Moon didn't do that for you. Only the sun. He did it. For you, the Son of God, Jesus. He did it for me. While we were yet sinners, He died for us so that we wouldn't have to die. Now, Romans chapter 10. And we're going to begin at verse 1. Man had a problem. Jesus came to solve that problem. On the cross, He died to bridge the gap between God and man. He offered His blood because His blood was spotless and therefore it could be offered as a sacrifice for the human race. He came to fulfill the prophecy. He came to fulfill the law. The Word of God made flesh, suffered and died, rose again on the third day, entered into heaven where He is seated at the Father's right hand. And that same Word of God we are hearing tonight this written Word of God unveils to us the living Son of God. And this very Word can find its entrance into our hearts if we only believe it. Now, I want you to see something here that the Apostle Paul cried out to God for. 
Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This is coming from a Jew, a converted Jew. Someone who saw Jesus, who first destroyed Christians, but then came to Jesus, as a result preached Christ, and then sided with Christianity. As a matter of fact, he was so on fire for God that even the Jews said, Is not this the man that killed the Christian, but now he is preaching the gospel? What's going on with him? Well, he got born again. He met Jesus. Now, his desire is that Israel be saved. I mean, that tells me that he was concerned they were being lost, isn't it? And here's why. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know there's always a two-sided thing to everything? Even a coin has two sides. When it comes to the thing of God, things of God, there are two sides. For example, the Bible itself. Two sides, the human side, the divine side. Men wrote, but they were divinely inspired. Isn't that true? So there's a human side, there's a divine side. Jesus Christ, there's a human side, there's a divine side. When it comes to salvation, listen carefully. There's a human side as well as a divine side. The divine side did its part the human side must do its part or his part if i don't believe if i reject if i turn my back if i say i'm going to do it my way i'm not doing my part am i and even though god did his part and jesus did his part and and the divine side is taken care of if i don't cooperate and do my part it's not going to be a reality in my life these Jews were going about to continue establishing their own righteousness, which was already a filthy rag. They would not accept Christ. They wouldn't accept His blood. They turned their back on Him. As a result, they would be lost. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Notice, the righteousness of faith speaks, whereas the righteousness of the law works. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it, or what does the righteousness which comes by faith say? It says this, the word is nigh thee or near you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. He doesn't work his way into righteousness. He believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter said, you're born again by the incorruptible seed of God's word. James said, of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth. Ezekiel said, he'll put a new heart within you and a new spirit within you. And Paul said, here's how it takes place. You've got to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. His blood was offered for eternal sacrifice for the redemption of all mankind. He is seated at the Father's right hand right now. I believe that with all of my heart 
and I call upon the name, notice the name of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, if you will come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, I'm repenting. I am not going to live for myself any longer. I cannot get myself into heaven, so I'm coming your way. I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my heart and to give me a new one, a brand new spirit. Take out the old and put in the new. I believe you're the Savior of the world. I confess you as my Savior and Lord. See, if a person does that, Jesus comes in and recreates his spirit. And that person in Christ becomes a new creature. May I show you those two scriptures? Acts chapter 4, verse 12, since I have your permission. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't do it. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And I'm not giving you any theory here. I'm just going to read the scriptures to you. Acts 4, verse 12 says, everybody have it? Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We must be born again, and the only name that offers it is the name of Jesus. There's no other name. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not whosoever, anyone else. Only one name that brings salvation. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Now look at this next verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And then I've got one more wonderful text. I've got a lot more, but... We don't want to go through all of them. Sometime I would love to just, just preach all night long. And I'm in that mood tonight. Just want to warn you right now. I'm, I really am. I, I just would just love to go through all these wonderful scriptures and share them with you. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Notice the expression, in Christ. In other words, if you come to him and make him your Savior and Lord, and he comes into you, into your heart, this is what happens. He is a new creature. Or as one translation says, He is a new creation. Another one says a new species that never before existed. Listen. If any man's in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That old heart. That old heart. You see, the reason why a person in the flesh needs a heart transplant is because that old heart is not working right. The arteries are clogged and whatever, and it's just not working right. There may be a disease in the heart, whatever, and it's got to be taken out and a new one placed in, right? Well, the old has passed away. Your old spiritual condition has passed away. God has taken the sin out of you. See, people sin, commit sins because they are sinners. But when you're washed in the blood of Jesus... God takes the sin out of you and puts a new nature in you. A nature that doesn't want to sin. A new heart. A new spirit. I love this part. Old things are passed away. That means anything that God was holding against me is gone. Any misdeed, any misconduct, anything whatsoever that I have ever done in my life is eradicated, remitted, wiped out in a state of non-existence. That's why when your neighbor knew you while you were growing up, I mean, I've had people say this to me before. Oh, what are you doing with your life? Well, I'm a minister now. 
You are? We've heard about the Anzavina reputation in Youngstown, Ohio. You're what? Yes, that's that hard for you to believe. When God gives you a brand new heart, it doesn't matter to me if you were a murderer like the Apostle Paul was. Remember that sinner on the cross? Remember? Jesus said, Today I say to you, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Because he repented. Can you see that? You've got a brand new heart, a brand new life, a brand new start, a brand new slate. Just like an innocent babe, you're born of God into a brand new realm. Your spirit man is alive unto God. And what takes place is something that Jesus referred to in John 5, 24. I'm so glad we got to that verse because I love that verse of Scripture. John chapter 5 and verse 24. You know, when you have the teach in you and on you, I don't know, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Notice the words, verily, verily, in verse 24 of John's Gospel, chapter 5. Verily, verily, a double verily means the language is strong. It is truth that is backed up by the very government of heaven itself. It's like saying in a court of law, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, as Christians, we don't like to swear like that, and so what we just say is my yea is yea and my nay is nay. But you get the point. You get the idea, right? Verily, verily means Jesus is saying, I'm making this emphatically clear to you. Listen. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Not someday in the future. Listen. And shall not come into condemnation or judgment. But is passed from death unto life. That's called the new birth. I passed from death to life. I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. We've heard that expression. Well, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm so glad I'm alive. Certainly I want to serve God because I'm in the light now. I can see now. I can see what my life is all about. I know my future. I know my destiny. I've read the back of the book. I'm spending it with Him in glory. We are victorious. That's the new birth. You pass from death unto life already. It's called being born again, born from above. And these things were written. First John, afford me one. May I? This, this is just too good. You've, you've got to look at this verse. This is the one just about brought me to my knees. Oh, glory to God. First John, and we're going to look. First of all, look at chapter 3, verse 14, then chapter 5. There's two verses here. First John 3, 14. Remember Jesus said, let's look at verse 13 first. Remember Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Now here John says, marvel not in verse 13 that when you are born again, the world hates you. You notice that? Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Listen. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Man, when you get that new life in you, you love everybody. You love the world. You love Jesus. You love human beings. You love the flowers. You love the birds. You love everything around you because you're born again. You've got a new life, the life of God in you. Can you see that? 
Okay, now look at chapter 5. Verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Now listen to this. He that hath the Son of... have life. If you have the Son in you now, you have life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I'm so glad I know I have eternal life. I know I have it now. Aren't you glad? That's what it's all about. What peace it brings to the mind. When you die, you just get translated to glory. Amen? Because you have life now. Praise God. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.